You're listening to the All Truth is God's Truth program. In God's creation, all truth belongs to Him. Therefore, as Christians, we must connect all truth back to our triune God in light of His inerrant Word and His creating, sustaining, and redeeming work. I'm your host, Jared Moore. Again, all is well if we have Christ. And I'm thankful for God with us, who is good and faithful and kind. Friends, join me in your copy of God's Word. Turn to the book of Judges. And I'm starting a new series today. It'll be a brief series, just on uh, conscience, on conscience. And uh, what we'll do is we'll probably spend about four weeks uh, going through what the Bible says about conscience, understanding what a conscience is and our responsibility to have holy consciences or good consciences that are informed by Scripture, by the Holy Spirit, and that's through faith in Christ. And um, when we hit Christmas Day, we will probably uh, look at the Christmas story, and we'll start another book in January. But today we're looking at our consciences are a guide. Our consciences are a guide. And just a, a brief introduction to the book of Judges. Uh, the book of Judges shows us that God is faithful, that He keeps His covenant promises to Israel, even when Israel is unfaithful to Him. He is gracious to them. Even though Israel did what was evil in His sight, they would worship Baal and, and Ashtaroth, and then they would be captured or they would be conquered by their enemies, and they would eventually cry out to God in repentance and he would raise up a judge or a deliverer who would then deliver Israel from her enemies. And then eventually that judge and the generations of that judge would die. And the next generation would forget what the previous generation had learned and they'd worship false gods again. And oftentimes this was due to uh, intermarriage where they would marry unbelievers or non-Yahweh worshipers and would take on the false gods of their brides. And so the book of Judges screams out praise to Yahweh for his steadfast love and his faithfulness in spite of Israel's evil. And the book of Judges also cries out for a king, a king of kings who would deliver them from their enemies once and for all, for eternity, and who would rule them in obedience to Yahweh. We know who, that God has provided us this king and that his name is Jesus Christ, and so the book of Judges serves as a warning to us concerning what happens to those who do not know God's Word, who do not hide God's Word in their hearts. They go after false gods and they commit heinous sins. Ultimately what our culture needs is more of God's Word, not less. And in our own lives, we need more of God's Word, not less. Because we need God to inform our consciences so that our consciences would govern us in a godly way. Now, conscience is a moral guide given to all humanity from conception. It's not morally neutral. It's informed by common grace, general revelation, or natural law. So you think of being able to look at creation and knowing that God exists and that God is good and faithful and the source of all that is true and beautiful. He's all-powerful. 
You know, that is due to God giving us consciences and reason able to discern those things from what is made. But unfortunately, creation is distorted by sin. God has subjected His creation um, to the curse. And also, we are sinners. So often, folks, they discern wrongly from nature concerning things that are false. But whatever information a conscience has, it judges its owner by it for good or for ill. So consciences can be evil or they can be good based on what information they are fed with. If they are fed with God's Word, believing God's Word, they will judge you according to God's Word. But if they are fed with unbiblical lies, believing these lies, they will judge you according to these lies. <clears throat> Oftentimes, whenever you talk to, for example, the, the cult of uh, Mormonism, when you talk to Mormons, they often talk about a burning in their bosom as part of their salvation experience. And what it is, it's an appeal to conscience. Their conscience, is, that's what they're arguing, that their conscience is telling them that this is the true way or that they're repenting and believing in Christ. But the thing is, if, you, if your conscience is not fed with the Word of God, with the truth of Scripture, then it cannot convict you or guide you in a way that is in lockstep with Scripture. In other words, if you're taught your whole life, for example, think of racism. If you're taught your whole life concerning racism, you will grow up to believe racist things and you will feel bad for doing things that aren't racist. But that doesn't mean that your conscience is right. Your conscience convicts you based on the information that it has. And so it's important for us to feed our conscience with God's Word so that we might feel convicted for things that God has actually said rather than things that our sinful heart has said or our culture has said. One example of this today, and this is happening in Canada, uh, Canada has legalized assisted suicide for certain individuals. And they're getting more and more lenient on who qualifies for this. And actually, you see some, some folks who are suffering, the government is actually going to them and suggesting, you know, we'll euthanize you, you know, we'll, we'll take your life. And they're trying to encourage folks to go through with that. And I want to be clear here that that is, that is pure and unadulterated evil, wicked. It's the, the equivalent of murder. And our culture is getting softer and softer on this. And I want you to know, grandparents, they're coming for your, for your grandchildren. They're trying to feed them information to where they no longer feel bad for wanting to take their own lives. And the church, we're going to be the only ones who are going to stand in the gap on this issue. We have to tell people, because right now, what is being taught, the way morality is defined, is if you have two consenting adults or one consenting adult, that doesn't hurt anybody else. So consent literally determines what is moral or good. And so people have it in their head that if they consent to taking their own lives, that it is somehow morally good. But moral good exists outside of us, and God wrote it down before the foundation of the world, he determined what was morally good, and he has given us a book to live by, and suicide is not morally good. 
We need to plead with people to see the beauty of God and to realize that God has made us in His image for the purpose of reflecting Him. And our value comes from Him. And He is unchanging. And so if anybody has desires to take your own life, you need to repent of those desires, run from them, and run to God and have His Word re-inform your conscience. Read His Word day and night if it takes that to where now you are thinking God's thoughts after Him because the thought of taking your own life is contrary to everything in Scripture. The church is going to have to speak up on this issue and be unashamed about it and be willing to be called names. Um, and I, the reason why I say that is because I watched a... Um, it's just sad. I, I saw an advertisement for this in Canada, and the way that they're presenting this is that it is a beautiful thing. It is a courageous thing, a beautiful thing. And it, it, it's, I mean, it's like the devil himself is writing these advertisements. <clears throat> I watched a documentary uh, last year called The Bridge, and it's about the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, which is one of the most popular spots in America where folks jump from it to take their own lives. Two to three people per month, per month on average um, jump from that bridge. And uh, what's interesting is that um, they've actually, they're actually building a net under the bridge now, and it'll be finished next year so that people can no longer do that, which is great. Um, but in that documentary, what's so sad about it is what they've done is they've they actually lied to the city and they set up cameras at the Golden Gate Bridge and they just let them run day and night. And they videotaped. They told them it was for nature. They were videotaping nature, but they weren't. They were, they were trying to make a, a documentary about suicide. And um, <clears throat> what's so awful about the, uh, about the documentary, and it's just called The Bridge, um, but they, he interviewed family members of people who had decided to take their own lives. And one particular couple, um, which it really, it really burdened my heart, it was a husband and wife, and the, their son was, um, he was suffering, and the, the father told him to go ahead and end his life. And they're interviewing this mother and father after the fact, and they're just heartbroken over the loss of their son. They're just weeping. And, and I'm, I'm like screaming at the TV. Like he could still be with you. Why did you tell him? Why did you ease his conscience? And why is your conscience believing something wicked and evil? We have to inform our consciences with the word of God. Because the way the culture presents these things, it dresses them up. It dresses up evil in a beautiful package, in a beautiful present. And it's encouraging people to try to open these things. And we need to stand in the gap and say, no, this is wicked, this is evil. People do not understand their value, and just because they don't understand it doesn't mean we don't. The Bible teaches that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knit you in the womb, that He made you. You belong to God. You are not your own. Your value does not come from your feelings. Your value does not come from the culture. It does not come from what people say about you or think about you. It comes from the God who made you. And so you can read His Word, and if you believe His Word, regardless what your flesh is telling you, regardless what other people are telling you, you agree with God and you think His thoughts after Him.
And he will take care of you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. So you cling to him. <clears throat> and something else that <clears throat> has me concerned about this is that people, people are saying, this is, I mean, in, in Christian circles, they're saying you need to be empathetic towards people who are having these desires. Church, we do not need to be empathetic. We need to be loving. And those two are not the same thing. Empathy tries to justify why somebody is thinking something that is contrary to God. Love tells folks the truth whenever they're going contrary to God. Empathy tries to understand why somebody is thinking something. But there is no justifiable reason for someone thinking to take his or her own life. There's none. Zero. So we do not need to be empathetic. We need to be loving. We need to tell people God's word and encourage them to run to the Lord and to enjoy Him afresh and anew. And that is what we need to emphasize. Church, I predict within 10 years this will be in America. <coughs> and so we need to stand up and be willing to say and be willing to be called names and all these things and plead with people to turn from sin and to enjoy God because people are more valuable than they realize they are. How valuable are they? Well, God sent His Son to die for them so that they might have a personal relationship with God. That is what we must emphasize, and that's what we must tell people. And that's what I want to encourage you. But the reason why people can do these things is because their consciences are being pacified. They're receiving the wrong information, and so they're searing their consciences, you know, telling their consciences to be quiet. And they're also receiving wrong information to inform their consciences that, no, this is a good, true, and beautiful thing. When the Bible says it's not, only God has a right to give life and to take it away. He's the only one. And so we need to agree with God. We need to agree with God. And if you want to listen to more about this issue, um, I, record, I have a podcast, um, and I recorded with a, actually a, a Christian counselor from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary on this issue. Um, the podcast is Pop Culture Coram Deo. Coram Deo is just Latin for before the face of God. And um, we talked about an hour and a half to two hours on this subject. So if you're wanting a biblical view on this subject, just search for suicide and pop culture Coram Deo. But consciences can be evil or good. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so part of what the work that Christ does in Christians is that he purifies our consciences from dead works. So we no longer trust in our dead works, but that's due to the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and the conscience being renewed or being informed by the truth of Scripture to where no longer do we trust in our works and no longer do, does our conscience judge us based on how well we performed as far as our salvation. And then Hebrews 10, 21 through 22 says, Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So because of Christ's mediatorial, His priestly, high priestly work, for us, interceding for us, he cleans up our consciences. Right? So our consciences now are informed by Scripture.
But we still have a responsibility to read the Word and to inform our consciences more and more and more. Oftentimes in ministry, and when I was in a youth, people, youth would make statements like, well, I don't feel bad for it, therefore it's not sin. <clears throat> well, if you haven't read the Bible, <laughs> then your conscience isn't going to know that something is sin, unless it's a very basic level of morality. But feeling bad for something doesn't make it sin. God's Word makes it sin. All right, so we need, to, we need to primarily focus on the Scriptures and read the Scriptures and study the Scriptures so that our consciences will be a good guide. So look at uh, Judges 11, and we're going to read the story of Jephthah. Jephthah, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. We're going to look particularly at verses 29 through 40. The first point I want you to see that we know our consciences are a God because first, a conscience that disagrees with the Holy Spirit guides us to evil. So look at verse 29 through 36. 29 through 36. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah passed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Aror to the neighborhood of Mineth, twenty cities, and as far as Abel, Karamim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him <clears throat> with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow." And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. And then on to um, verse 30. Verse 30. Let's see, verse um, 37. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, Go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of the two months she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the the Gileadite, four days in the year. So this is a, this is a very difficult uh, story um, because of the, the vow that Jephthah made. And, um, you know, the Old Testament, you see first in verse 29 that he had the Holy Spirit come upon him. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon individuals to do specific tasks to empower them to do those tasks. Um, 
Let me just give you some examples of the Holy Spirit coming upon individuals. Off Neil, um, came, it came upon him, one of the judges. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. In Judges 3.10, he went out to war, and the Lord gave um, Cushan, Rishathame, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against them. And then Gideon also had the Spirit of the Lord come upon him, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizrites were called out to follow him, and Samson was another one that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. In uh, Judges 3, 13, I'm sorry, 13, 25, Judges 14, 6, uh, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, and um, now Saul actually lost the Spirit um, because he disobeyed the Lord later on. But understand that when the Bible talks about the Spirit coming upon someone in the Old Testament, it is for a specific task. It doesn't mean that that person's going to be sinless. It doesn't mean that they're not capable of sin. They still have a responsibility to be obedient to God. And if anyone shows that, it's King Saul. King Saul, though the Spirit came upon him, he still disobeyed, and actually the Holy Spirit left him as a result. And um, in verses 30 through 36, a person's conscience is only as good as the information they receive. If you look at Judges 11 at the beginning of the book, the beginning of the chapter, Judges 11, the first few verses... says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. And so, long story short, they eventually get threatened by the Ammonites, and they realize that Jephthah is a mighty warrior, so they seek him again to come be their leader, and the elders of Israel do. So he returns to wage war against the Ammonites. But you'll notice that the author of Judges, which was probably Samuel, but you'll notice that he puts in there that Jephthah hung around with worth, worthless men or worthless people. And um, it's important for us to understand that is that his conscience was mingled with the Word of God. I mean, he obviously knew some of the Word, but he also had error as part of his understanding as well. And I heard a pastor preach one time, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I think there's some truth to that, that what you fill your mind with, what you put your faith in and what you believe is ultimately what you become. You know, how you live and what you believe, eventually it comes out. And so if you're filling your head with these people who are contrary to God and you're surrounding yourself with ungodly people and they're influencing you, then eventually you'll believe like they believe. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. What's interesting is that God clearly forbade human sacrifice. He actually hated it. And Jephthah should have known this. Uh, Leviticus 18.21 says, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, 
and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Leviticus 20 verse 2 says, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. You know, both Jephthah and his daughter had misinformed consciences. And as a result, right, he, he thought that he could get God in a headlock, right? You deliver, me, you deliver my enemies to me, and I will offer you a human sacrifice. He probably thought that one of his servants would be coming out of his house, right? He probably he didn't think that it would be his only daughter, because when he comes home... He tears his robe, right, because, which is a sign of deep sorrow, deep grief. Now, some of the new, newer commentaries try to explain away um, this passage, and uh, I, I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. I think that it's, he, he committed heinous sin, heinous wickedness. He offered his daughter as a burnt offering, and um, even though Yahweh hated it, and what's amazing, what's amazing is that uh, Jephthah is actually in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He's in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11 because of the good that he did do in delivering Israel from God's enemies. And that should tell us <coughs> that God, God is not part of cancel culture. You know, God does not cancel individuals because they commit heinous sin, um, but rather He does show grace even to people who commit heinous sin. But what I want you to see here in this passage is that if your conscience is misinformed, you will think that you are doing godly things when you're actually doing wicked things. You know, Jephthah, though he should be commended for his understanding of making a promise to God or an oath. Like, we still have oaths today, but they don't mean anything. Right? I mean, people still put their hand on a Bible to say the whole truth. And, I mean, what they're saying is, if I'm lying, may God strike me dead, is what they're saying. But now people make oaths, and it doesn't mean anything. But it meant something during this time. And so he had a right understanding of making an oath as a very serious thing. But he had a wrong understanding of what Yahweh accepted and what Yahweh enjoyed. And so you see that a conscience that disagrees with the Holy Spirit, it guides us to evil. Jephthah and his daughter were guided to evil as a result of having half-truth in their heart. So it's very important that our consciences are informed by the Word of God so that we don't commit similar sins. We have to get away from this idea that, that, um, that I am what I feel or that my sin is based on what I feel. Our sin is based on the Word of God. And you're only going to feel bad for things that you know are sin or that you believe are sin. But if you have not read the Word of God and been informed by the Word of God, it's amazing, right? We're, we're spending hours throughout the week watching television, listening to music. Most of these things are contrary to God, or we're reading articles that are contrary to God. And we think that if we come here and we spend an hour, we hear the Word for 30 minutes a week, 
that that is somehow going to inoculate us against all these other untruths that we're hearing 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Look, the Word of God is powerful and can, can transform our hearts and our consciences, but we also need to take responsibility to spend more time in the Word than we do in the culture. So we know our conscience is our God because first, a conscience that disagrees with the Holy Spirit guides us to evil. The second thing is that evil consciences guide us to have evil desires, do evil actions, and to suffer the consequences. <clears throat> you see in verses 37 through 40, So his daughter says to her father, Let this thing be done to me. So she was misinformed as well. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountain and weep for my virginity. I and my companions... So she'd hoped for marriage and hoped for children. But she was no longer going to be able to have these things. So she was a, a young woman. And uh, he says, go. He sent her her way for two months. She departed, she and her companions. And they wept for her virginity on the mountains. At the end of the two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to the vow that he had made. And she had never known a man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. And so this was a, a continued custom to weep over this woman who was offered as a burnt sacrifice. If you look at Leviticus 5, 4 through 6, you, you don't have to turn there, but God actually made provision if someone made a vow that was a sinful vow to where they could offer a sacrifice and not have to fulfill that vow. In Leviticus 5, 4 through 6, If anyone utters with his lips a rash oath, or to do evil, or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and is hidden from him when he comes to know it, and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, or a sin offering." And the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. So Jephthah could have gotten out of this in obedience to the law of God. But instead, he went and followed this oath which he'd probably learned from the pagan gods and the worthless men that he hung out with whenever his half-brothers ran him off from his home. And so instead of submitting to God's word, and doing what God's word says. I mean, it just it breaks my heart. You imagine offering your own daughter as a burnt offering, and you don't have to. It's because of pagan, a pagan God and your belief in that, that you're doing this. If you just listen to Yahweh, if you just read the law, if you just read Leviticus, he would not have committed this heinous sin, this wickedness. So Jephthah and his daughter had evil consciences which led to evil desires and actions. And the only way to escape these is to turn from them and trust in Christ alone so that he can purify us. So it seems that based on Scripture that this is how God works. God the Holy Spirit, when you get saved, he resurrects you and informs your conscience according to the Word of God to where now you think in alignment with God's Word. But this is when you're a young Christian, young in the faith, in order to mature and have a mature conscience, you have to pick up the book and read. And as you read, the Holy Spirit takes this Word 
and brings your life into submission, then forms your conscience to where now, thing, this, this is why the older you get, the more evil you feel like you are <laughs> as a Christian. Right? It's not that the Bible has changed. It's that your conscience has become better informed with Scripture. The more you mature, the more you realize how much you need Jesus, how sinful you are. You know, and it's because the Holy Spirit is applying the Word to your conscience. And now your conscience is convicting you, convicting you now for things you weren't convicted for years ago. But that is good. That is for our betterment, it is for our maturity. It is so that we will grow and mature in our relationship with the Lord. In conclusion, even though Jephthah committed heinous sin, he still had faith in Yahweh. He was a Yahweh worshiper. And I want to read you from Hebrews eleven thirty-two through 34, because the author of Hebrews includes him in the hall of faith. And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. See, David's included there as well. And y'all know David committed murder, um, sexual morality, adultery. <clears throat> Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight because of his faith in Yahweh. And so we need to have faith like Jephthah while informing our consciences with God's words in a better way than Jephthah did. So he serves as an example of both good and bad. Right? It's that warning that to have faith in God is good and is praiseworthy, and to do great things for God is good and praiseworthy. But we need to be holier than Jephthah. We ultimately, we need a better king. I know he's a judge, but the, the judges were the precursor to kings. All right, the judges screams out for a king, not for a judge. Screams out for a ruler who will rule and guide his people eternally. And that's who we have in Christ. And so we need someone better than Jephthah, and praise God, he gave us someone. He gave us someone. Someone whose conscience is perfectly informed by Scripture, and there is no sin or error in the conscience of Christ. And it's ultimately the conscience of Jesus that saves us, not our own. So where we fall short, he does not. It's not just the righteousness of Christ that has been credited to us, Included in that righteousness is also the consciousness of the conscience of Christ, the faith of Christ has been credited to us. To where God views us as if we believe like his son does, as if our consciences are perfect like his son's is. I find great freedom in that. I mean, and you know what? He will finish what he started in us to where one day you will actually in your body actually be exactly like Christ morally. Perfect, perfectly informed conscience, perfect in action, no sinful desires. I mean, all that is coming because of the beauty of what God has given us in Christ. And if you're a Christian, He's already started that work in you, and He will finish it one day. He will accomplish it. 
But while we are here, we have a responsibility to pick up and to read this book and to do what it says and to inform our consciences in such a way to where we don't commit heinous sin like these men we read about in the Hall of Faith. When you think of Jephthah, when you think of King David, you, I mean, I hope none of us in here think we're godlier than David. I mean, that we're capable of the same sins. All you have to do is tell your conscience to be quiet. And you're capable of anything that anybody has done in Scripture. And so let us not tell our consciences to be quiet, but let us submit to our consciences as they judge us according to the Word of God. Let us say with David in Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So let us hide the Word of God in our hearts. You know, if you're a Christian here today, I want, to invite, I want to invite you to enjoy God's grace in Christ. Where you fall short, He does not. Where you fall short, He does not. And so, yes, take responsibility for your conscience. Take responsibility for how well it is informed with Scripture. But also, do not trust in your conscience to save you. Trust in Jesus's conscience to save you you have great freedom in him to enjoy him and if you're not a christian today i want to invite you to come to christ he will clean you up he will clean you up it is not enough to just pick up the word and to read it you must turn from your sin and trust in god alone to save you and believe on his son and he will take your sin away and he will give you a new spirit he will give you new desires to love and enjoy him he will resurrect your heart so that you'll love God like he, does, like he does and you'll seek to love others like He does. So won't you turn today and won't you enjoy salvation and grace and love this morning? You know, I, I want us this, you know, over the next several weeks to think of this as like we're running towards Christmas. You know, we're running towards Christmas. We're running towards the birth of Christ because when you look at judges, they're screaming out for the birth of Christ. Oh God, please send us someone to deliver us. He sends them someone, but they're just, eh. <laughs> you know, they're just okay. They're just godly enough to deliver them. And then boom, they're back in their sin again. Generation dies and boom, they're back worshiping false gods. No, 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 we need a deliverer who will keep us eternally safe. And that's what we have in Christ. And we're, we're worshiping Him. We're singing all these Emmanuel songs, God with us. And praise be to God that He gave us a Savior. Amen. Let's all stand and respond how God may be leading here this morning. As Brother Kenny comes and our musicians come, won't you respond this morning as we sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Persuaded, I see the Savior, I see His grace is amazing, I persevere to the end, I'm all in, it's sound all